This is uh, Jessica and noon. This is the evening. Oh, well, we said good evening last time. Okay, so good evening. Good afternoon. Good whatever to you all on this fine day. Good noon's day, everyone. <laughs> good noon's day. Um, I'm, I'm Jessica, and that is Danielle. And we are here to talk about uh, Tucson, Arizona, and how it's a little bit spooky and a little bit weird. And sometimes weird stuff happens here, and we're going to talk about that. And your your face just made a the, the dog just like opened its mouth right in front of me, and it, oh, it's man. a not a pleasant not a pleasant. Smell. Our our dogs are here. We have three, and they're um they're all watching us. So we're today we're going to talk about the Pioneer Hotel. Uh, the Pioneer Hotel is really cool. It it was <clears throat> it is a Tucson landmark. Um, it was designed in by architect Roy Place. Uh, it was one of Tucson's first high-rise buildings, and it was opened in 1929. And do we want to sort of explain where it is in Tucson? Yeah, so it's downtown. Um, for those of you who know Tucson, it is on the corner of Stone and Pennington. Mm -hmm. uh, it is an office building now. This is where that, like, this is the building where Ike's Coffee Shop is. Yeah. yeah. Um, you ever been to Ike's Coffee? Yeah, I, they used to have one up on Speedway and, what is that, Country Club? Wherever, next to the, <laughs> nobody's, nobody's going to, it's, it's next to the um Well, I just like how you like, looked at store. me, like I'd know where this place is after I, like. Okay. okay, it's next to the shipping store where Becky used to work. Uh, oh yeah, no, I do. I've been there that's once. That's Ike's. Okay, That yeah. was Ike's. It's not oh, Ike's anymore. Okay. But Ike's had another location that's downtown in the old Pioneer Hotel. Um, and so, like, we went there today. Yeah, we drove by there today. We had, we had brunch downtown. We went to a place called Nook. It was really good. Yeah, it was really good. And it was, um, nice and Tucson cheap, because that's what's great about Tucson, yeah. is everything is super cheap. So we had, uh. Like, all the big portions were under $10. I am currently entering a diabetic coma yeah. because I had the cinnamon uh, cinnamon roll griddle cakes, yeah. and they were so good. So, I, I oh, guess... Oh, yeah, back to, back to the, the topic of well, the Well, no, podcast. no, I was just going to say, like, oh. so just downtown, um, it's... For people who used to live in Tucson, like, te like, a couple of decades ago, it's where the big bus stop is, and that kind of used to be all there was was yeah. the Hotel Congress and then a bus stop. And so it was kind of a... And the, and the Pioneer Hotel. And the Pioneer Hotel. So it used to be a really sketchy part of town. They have completely revitalized it. And so now it's not so sketchy. The bus stop's still there. Well, that and, part of town was sketchy. The Pioneer Hotel catered to the elite, though. Well, that, but then it, there was that period in between. I'm just saying, yeah. like, it, was, it used to just be just a bus stop and Hotel Congress. So, uh, 1929, 1930s, the Pioneer Hotel, again, I said, catered to the social elite. Of Tucson. Of Tucson, meaning that the, it's the, the folks who lived in the penthouse were the owners of the Steinfeld warehouses. Okay. Uh, they were uh, Harold Steinfeld and his wife. Uh, 
I have to say, I just like that Tucson's elite are the owners of a warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, that's, pretty that's much. Their, that's the elite Tucson is you didn't work in the warehouse, you just owned it, therefore you were in the upper echelons of Tucson. Uh, I've, I read a local rumor that during the, the Prohibition years, mm-hmm. like, the, like right around 1929, 1930, there was a secret speakeasy oh, cool. uh, in the underground, in the uh, section of the basement that was like where the LBGTQ uh, plus, plus, IA plus, I don't know what all the... Um, I think you can just say LGBT, maybe even Q, etc. Okay. I think you got yourself covered. Okay. Not that I'm an expert in any means on it, but I think that's a good... Okay. Um, also, back in the day, it would have probably just mostly been L, G, B, and T. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really have a concept of Q. Anyway, we're going on a tangent. Yeah, we are. We're going on a weird, <laughs> weird tangent. Um, although, I, I guess in this case, it could be Q as in queen, because um, I'm reading here there's a lot of drag queens. Oh, cool. It was a place. It was a, Tucson yeah. had drag queens. Rumors. Yeah, here we go from TucsonMuseum.com. Uh, rumors persist that after one of the shows in 1946, a despondent drag queen took a handful of barbiturates <laughs> yeah, and walked down the hallway uh, to a walk-in freezer. Um, so, so the freezer was built in the 1910s okay. and had no locking mechanism on its reverse side, and the performer was found by two of the hotel cooks the next day sitting frozen solid on oh the side God. of expensive beef with an unlit cigarette still <laughs> in his hand. For him. Yeah, I guess that's one way to go, is just take a bunch of barbiturates and freeze stuff. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's all right. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the big the big thing with the hotel, the Pioneer Hotel, is that it uh, did catch on fire at one point. So shortly after midnight on December 20th, 1970. So near Christmas time? Yep. Okay. A fire ripped through the landmark building. Uh, in fact, they were having a Christmas party at the time. Oh, shit. Yeah. 29 people died in the fire, and it is the deadliest um, event, basically, in Tucson's history. It killed more people than the Gabrielle Gifford shooting. Oh, wow. So yeah. um, how did they all die? Were they just sort of drunk, and weren't it, or did the fire spread so quickly? or The fire broke out on the fourth floor, and basically this place was a death trap. Okay. Like, like, there were... And from what we saw today, it looks like it's about maybe 15 stories, would you give it? Yeah, it yeah. was really tall. So fourth floor is pretty low down for a fire to start. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is a five-story building and it, yeah, it started near the top. Nobody had noticed the smoke, and this place was packed with people from Christmas. Probably drinking, too. Yeah. yeah. It, so the other thing is that the, the place was... So Hughes, Hughes Aircraft employees were the ones having um, their Christmas party, there, there was also other. The rooms were were booked by, because um, this this apparently another local kind of Tucson rumor said that the this was the place where wealthy folks from Sonora, Mexico, would come oh, and, okay. and stay while they did their Christmas shopping yeah. in the U.S. Um, oh man, that's yeah, that's pretty rough if that's uh, if Tucson, Arizona, is where you come to do your Christmas shopping. Yeah. It's it's so you are hard up for options at that point. It's an 11-story building. Okay, 11. And, of course, like like all things that, you know, eventually fail in a catastrophic way, it was 
build in promotional pamphlets as fireproof. <laughs> I, I feel like at this point, like, you shouldn't say anything is something proof. I know. Like, iceberg proof, unsinkable, yeah. fireproof. So even this, this, uh, I read a 60 Minutes on this, and oh, yeah. they even said the Pioneer was a death trap. <laughs> it had no sprinkler system. Uh, yeah, the fire exits were padlocked shut for security reasons. <laughs> Did they explain why it was it was called fireproof, or was that just sort of a fun joke? That, like... I don't, I did not dig into that okay. statement more. Um, it was probably, this is back in the day where you could just sort of say anything you wanted in an advertisement. Yeah, and pretty like, much. You could say, like, that fairies well, would come and, I'm like, sure make your beds. and They said that it was fireproof because it had... A sprinkler system? No, it didn't have a sprinkler oh, okay. system. That's right. It had fire exits, but in this case, they were pad chained and padlocked shut because they didn't want people sneaking into the Christmas party. But having a fire exit kind of implies you don't think it's going to be fireproof. If you need a, a place, uh, like you, if you need a place for people to run when there's a fire, then it's not a fireproof building. I think that would have been my first suspicion. That's that something inescapable was logic. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just for everyone out there who, who's going to a hotel, if there is a fire exit, that is definitely a ding against yeah. the hotel. That, that's telling well, you something. Well, also, by the time that the, the blaze started to spread and they, they called the fire department, in true Tucson fashion, their tallest ladder <laughs> could, could only reach between the fourth and fifth floors. <laughs> so they couldn't even get to a majority of the people that were, were trapped. Which is freaking tragic. But they could get to the fire, right? Because you said the yeah. fire started on the fourth, fourth floor, yeah. so they could get to the fire. And they are firefighters. They're not, like, people rescuers in a fire situation. Yeah. Well, we, we got to get a little somber here real quick. Okay. Because... going to get serious. Um, yeah, we're going to get serious. So, this place was going up in flames. Mm -hmm. People were trapped. They and were dying. What time was this? What time of night? This is... At right around midnight okay. is when it broke out, and there were four bodies brought down to the mezzanine level at about 2 a.m., um, and there was fire, when firemen had called for resuscitation up on the ninth floor. Um, by about 1.45 a.m., St. Mary's Hospital had reported one person DOA and 15 mm -hmm. others injured. Those injured included people who jumped from the upper floors. Oh, that's so awful. yeah, this is the this is where we go a little somber yeah. because this is people who were Right, because it was on the fourth fourth floor and it's an eleven story building, so that's seven floors of people mm -hmm. all above it who can't get out. Um this quote says people were jumping from the windows and splattering on the sidewalk. Mm. It was awful. Firemen were screaming to people through their horns to stay on the floors for oxygen. Witnesses said they saw bodies illuminated by floodlights leaping from the rooms of the 10th floor in the roof. Um, I read somewhere, I think it's, you can survive a third floor fall and anything above that is pretty much almost guaranteed to be death. I think really? I read somewhere. I yeah. have always wanted to know that. I thought that, I thought, I don't have my phone on me, but um, that's what I had read somewhere. I could be wrong, but I remember if, if it's not the third, it might be the fourth. It's something shockingly low. I have a computer in front, Here, of, in front of me. But, I'm going to Google this. So while you do that, I'll just keep talking. Yeah, but do that. You, what it, this really reminds me of is the um, the Triangle Fire 
the Triangle Shirt Company. Shirtwaist Fire. Mm-hmm. Shirtwaist Fire. I think it's called the Triangle, like, was the name of the company or the, or the building. I think it was called, like, Triangle. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but it was something really similar of, like, that the, the exits were padlocked shut, were boarded up shut for security purposes. Um, no working sprinkler system. And a, the fire just probably tore through and got out of hand really quickly. And, like, very similarly, people who were trapped, a mm-hmm. lot of them fell to their deaths and were just left on the side of the street. According to the very first result in Google for the search, from what height can you fall and survive? The median height leading to death is about 49 feet or 15 meters or about four to five stories. Called it. See? Third story. Anything above. That's what I said, right? That is. I mean... Play back the tape. Technically, you said... But this is saying that you die at four to five. Right. And I was saying, I think you can survive three and anything above. We'll play the tape. We'll find out. Well, that's fine. And if I was wrong... I'm willing to give you the win on this. Mostly because I don't want to Google it anymore. If I was wrong, I was just taken out of context. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So the flames were still out of control by about 2 a.m. And the fire department... A, de- a fire department spokesperson actually said this is a disaster situation. Um, several hundred employees of the Hughes aircraft crew were at the company party and some left. Some tried to help lead people to safety. Another person who was caught in the, the flames or this activity is this 16-year-old guy, mm-hmm. Louis, or uh, like Louis Armstrong, but he spelled it differently. L-O-U-I-S. Yeah, probably Luis. Luis, okay. I'm going to say Luis. Because Luis. I think that's a Hispanic, because that would be the French, more the yeah. French way of pronouncing Probably, yeah. Based on the area, I would guess Luis. Yeah, yes. sorry, go ahead. Okay. Wow, that was a digression. Yeah. <laughs> was he at the hotel at the time? Uh, yeah, so he was helping He was helping people get out. There was oh, even a okay. police officer there with him. How old was he? He was 16. Okay. So there was even this police officer who found him in the hotel and was like, you're going to have help me get people out. So he had been there helping people out of the hotel the whole time. Was he like a, one of the, like a son of one of the guests or something? No, he was just sort of hanging around. He okay. said that he was there for free drinks. Okay. Um, there was some talk that he may have been there to maybe, you know, rob some of the rooms, okay. pick up stuff while the guests were drunk or whatever. Yeah. Um, but he was he was there, and when the fire started happening, he was like uh, he he jumped in mm-hmm. and and helped. So, but hours later, early in the morning on, on December twentieth, mm-hmm. he was taken into custody. Okay, he was interviewed by police without parental consent. Okay, and he was charged with starting the fire. Right, because this is going to be the days before the Miranda rights. Yeah. Okay, so they wait. No, this was. Because this is the it's, 1970s, so... And Miranda is... When's Miranda? 1966 Oh, Miranda. So this was after Miranda. Oh, okay. So he did have a right to a, a attorney. But he's, it's in that weird... That's interesting, because as, even as a kid, he, they're supposed to have his parents present, and if not, they need to read him... Oh, you know what they probably did? They probably just said, hey, come on down. This is going to be just a totally consensual... So, no, he originally went there went uh-huh. there as a witness. Oh, exactly. That's like, what I mean. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, so they don't have to give him his mm-hmm. Miranda warnings if... if I, we're not attorneys, mm-hmm. neither one of us. But no, I, exactly. I don't believe they have to. If law and order has taught me anything, I don't believe they have to if they they are just interviewing you as a witness. Now they can, yeah. But the moment it switches, the moment they, they're supposed to read you your, your Miranda rights. Right. 
supposed to. Well, he had he had voluntarily gone to police headquarters at first as a okay. witness. Right, right. Okay. And then after this all-night interrogation mm-hmm. with eight different police officers without a parent, lawyer, or guardian, uh, he eventually was like, I'm not answering any questions anymore. And See, this... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, this is why if the police pick you up, like, yeah. after the first, like, 30 minutes of just being a friendly witness, the moment they start asking you, like, so what were you doing there? What uh, what was what were you doing before the fire started? Uh, I would maybe answer, like, two questions in that vein before I say I would like my attorney, please. Especially if they make you sit there for a while. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. they come in and they're like, hey, we got some free sandwiches or whatever. You're like, uh-uh, mm no, no. Attorney. Attorney, immediately. But see, this kid didn't have the benefit of watching just decades of Law and I Order. I know. Decades of Law and Order. And NYPD Blue. Oh, yeah. And what else? Sipowitz. Yeah, Sipowitz is in NYPD Blue. What other TV shows are there? Doesn't matter. That yeah. doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I have some quotes here from but, the detective. But I think you said, yeah, Miranda, we should pause and say, because this is a Tucson-themed show, Miranda, Miranda versus was, Arizona. It was in Arizona. Dun, dun, dun. All comes together. Well, probably we might talk about that eventually. Yeah, Maybe we, we can do a case. whole podcast on that. People who were denied their Miranda warnings in Arizona or whatever. So did he? Did they keep him for a bunch of hours and he confessed, or did he? What happened with that during that interrogation? Do we know? So I have this this detective. So this sixty minutes, um, we got really involved in this this kid's case uh, later on when he was an, a man in prison later on. Um, and they started doing their investigation. And so they went back and interviewed a bunch of the detectives and people who were originally involved. So they have this detective, uh, juvenile detective, David Smith. Like, was he was he an underage detective or was he a detective of the underage? I, 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 I want him to be a boy detective. <laughs> just like a little kid who talks with the lisp and is wearing like his dad's suit that's just several sizes too big sitting in a high top but like what if he's like a juvenile detective now like he's graduated (laughs) to that point but he's like a grown-ass man like he's buster from (laughs) from arrested development i'm that juvenile he's kind of like (laughs) sheriff's badge oh god this is um anyways so he detective david smith Juvenile Detective David Smith. <laughs> Juvenile Detective David Smith uh, he said that the boy was seen near the place where the fire started, had five partial packs of matches on him, and was unable to give a legitimate reason for being in the hotel. Why does he have five packets of matches on him? I don't know. Maybe you just like to collect stuff. Or That's maybe kinda, you're a smoker. That, that doesn't strike you as a little bit weird that he has five packs of matches? No. But... What's he, is he a smoker? Like he's a, well, I don't know. But why does he? I think that's a little bit suspicious. If you're just you should like, write him a, a letter. I should. No, this is what like if you're caught as like a suspect for a giant fire, yeah. maybe maybe get rid of the matches. Like maybe you, yeah, you know if you are a person, yeah, I would say if you are involved in any if there's a fire, and even if you're helping people escape, toss your matches. But why does he have five packs of one I get? Two, maybe. He needs a backup for the first. But five? I don't know. Where Did they come from the hotel? Do we know? I don't know. Okay. I don't know where they came from. That's, that's that, for me, that is, that's, that's mark one. That's like, check one, whatever you want to say. Unfortunately, based on all of this dumb crap uh, and circumstantial evidence, 
Taylor was charged with 28 counts of murder Jeez. and convicted by an all-white jury and sentenced to life in prison. Wait, you say all-white was Taylor, not... Oh, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God, have I not... Oh. <laughs> yeah, he was African-American. Okay. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, okay, so- this is this huge injustice. Oh, yeah, no, he was just an African-American teenager. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, and they... Then, they- then I take back what I was saying. He might, It might be Bluey. It might not be Lewis. It might yeah, be Yeah, it might be Louie. Yeah. Depending on where he was from. Yeah, he is an African... <laughs> <laughs> God. This is a good podcast. That's like, that's like the opposite of a spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. The big reveal. Um... But yeah, so that's so he was imprisoned. They so basically what happened? The, the Pioneer Hotel caught on fire because it was a freaking death trap. Yeah. And after, you know, ten minutes after the fire, they pointed at the first black youth mm-hmm. that they could see and you said, did. "You did it because you wanted to rob all those hardworking rich yeah. white people." And then they threw him in, in jail. Yeah. And he and he's sixteen. He was okay. sixteen at the time. Um. So okay. did he did he end up like staying in prison? No, so see, he was released. Oh, he was from okay. prison. Yeah, so he was he made a plea of no contest okay. in April of 2013, and then pled no contest to the original charges and was given all of his credit for time served, and he was released. So this was this was a project. So his case was taken on by the Arizona Justice Project. Okay, uh, yeah, Justice Projects and Innocence Projects. Mm-hmm. Um, how did they get him released? What did, what what did they and when when did they release him? So they released him in April 2013, and they had presented all this new evidence they that had okay. that they had said showed that it wasn't an arson. Do we know what the new evidence was? Okay, one of the things was that the fire there was a fire investigator hired by the Arizona. Uh, prosecutor Mm -hmm. or prosecution I think presented a profile suggesting that the arsonist was a young black man Mm -hmm. um and how what what was this profile based on other than good old 70s racism yeah he said he did a quick walkthrough of the hotel 10 days after the blaze (laughs) told the city council he'd already reached some preliminary conclusions about the type of person who set the place on fire just by walking through the hotel um yeah so, so good old-fashioned 1970s racism is how yeah, came up with that profile. Okay. Yeah, and they even asked, 60 Minutes even asked, how did you determine that, how did he determine that it was a, a young black man of color? Um, oh, God. This was his response. Uh-oh. Strap yourself in? Yeah. All right. This is, I'm, I'm reading a quote. I'm not saying this. <laughs> Uh, blacks at that point, their background was the use of fire for <laughs> beneficial purposes. In other words, they were used to clearing lands and doing cleanup work and things like that, and fire was a tool. So that it was a, just a tool for them. That's a stereotype I haven't heard yet. <laughs> In other words, you're just comfortable with it. And if they got mad at somebody, the first thing they do is use something they're comfortable with. Fire was one of them. What? Matches. I, I wasn't aware that that was a uh, that was a stereotype of black people. So when they get upset, they just light some matches. Fucking ah, uh, people. No, ah, uh, that's wrong and terrible. And I hate it. 
Well, that just doesn't even like fit with the that. So now it's a completely different, uh, completely different um, like story that they're giving. Because initially they said mm-hmm. that he started the fire just to distract people so that he could steal their stuff, which yep. makes sense. And now they're saying that he got angry at somebody and then just decided to set fire to the building. Well, he was probably mad at all those white people. For being white, I don't know. Like, well, with, I don't know what this guy's logic. I can't follow his logic. Okay, I can't follow the logic of like anyone in in Arizona who lived in Tucson at any point using fire as a tool. <laughs> He's talking about to clear brush, all that, to, like clearing lands and doing cleanup work and stuff like that. That I don't know if how is that a profile for an arsonist? I don't know, man. So clearly, this guy was an idiot. Yeah, and once he once they asked him that and started to go off, his credibility was pretty much destroyed. Yeah, fortunately, good. Um, a really good fire uh, investigator who has conducted more than two thousand fire investigations um, and was basically a big shot took on the kid the case for free. So he was one of the folks who presented um, evidence in Taylor's trial. So there was, let's see, there was evidence that accelerant had been used in the fire. Um, Well, I'm going to cut it. I know. Oh, no. Okay, so John Lentini, this big shot, he took on this case for free. He's a lawyer. No, he's a fire investigator. Oh, okay. okay. This, this big, big shot fire investigator, John Lentini, uh, conducting more than 2,000 fire investigations, he took on this case for free. He says, it's just another accusation, uh, sorry, he says, just another false accusation of arson. It's a shame. It's been very common for people to start with the proposition that the fire set, and if they can't find an innocent enough cause for it, then they say, well, somebody must have set it. Mm-hmm. That presumes we're not good enough fire investigators that ugh, that presumes we're good enough fire investigators to find the cause of every fire, and that's simply not true. Well, that also makes a jump of intent. It's yeah. not even just like somebody accidentally said it. Arson specifically implies that it was an in, it, it was intentional, like there was an intent to set the fire, versus just some drunk guy came back home, mm-hmm. knocked something over, and started a fire. So at court, they present all this evidence yeah. that that it probably wasn't an arson, and this guy guy was railroaded. And the, the county prosecutor, Barbara LaWall, mm-hmm. who I looked up, by the way, still oh, still in office. Oh, okay. Am I, I'm, that's, that's, I'm about to really enjoy what she did, right? That's, yeah, I'm, you're going to really enjoy this. Okay. So I'm going to be happy that she's she still in office. She commissioned the Tucson Fire Department to do its own investigation of the Pioneer Fire using the latest science. All right. It also concluded that the cause of the fire should now be ruled undetermined. Hmm. Um, and she said, great, let's let this kid go or this man, this grown man go. No, he decided that she, 
she decided, she said, we will only release Louise Taylor from prison if he pleads no contest to arson and murder charges. So if he basically pleads guilty. Yeah. And he did not want to do that. Right. So he was like, no, I'm innocent. Everything says that I'm innocent. Why should I plead no contest? Right. Um, even after the 1972 trial, after he was convicted by that all-white jury, the judge publicly expressed skepticism about hmm. the jury's decision to convict him. Hmm. He said, the jury had so much conflicting evidence that I just judged some of the evidence differently than he did, than they did. The judge judged it differently? Yeah. So basically he said they were wrong. Right, right. And, and but, didn't, oh, didn't is... overtry them. Well, I don't think he has the ability to do that. I think they can, like, during in the court case, like, during the actual case, they can overturn it. But I think, like, year, if it's years after the fact, they can't. Oh, come on. It was probably one of those. Well, I know he probably also didn't really well, care. Black kid, put him away. Yeah, exactly. But he, yeah, he probably didn't really care enough. I don't know. It's just shitty. But he was, he was released from prison. He spent... More than two thirds of his life in prison. Did but he, admit, he was released? Did he admit to it, or just they just decided there, indeed that there was enough evidence to overturn it, despite what the prosecutor? No, he he initially rejected that, didn't yeah. want to oh, no okay. contest, but then did. Oh, eventually that's, that's just did. Yeah, because he would just want no, to be I, free. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be another day in prison either. I think you just have to cut your losses, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. Well. That is that is the end of, of the story of the Pioneer Hotel and the railroading of, of Louise Taylor. Okay. The black uh, kid and the, the all-white jury. In the all-white jury. Um, now, currently, the Pioneer Hotel, We again, we walked by it today. It's a nice office building. It's also apparently haunted. Oh, and I went through the internet and collected all sorts of stories about how the Pioneer Hotel was haunted. Um these are all like internet comments, right? Which and I'm just gonna read them all. So like, and I'm gonna assume they're all completely true, factual. Well, of course. <laughs> so before we get into that, I guess yeah. like, do you believe in ghosts? Okay, okay. My th- thoughts on ghosts are very complicated. Okay, you have I, a complicated relationship with ghosts. I do have a complicated relationship with ghosts because what I believe if is, it was Facebook, it would say it's complicated. When it's it my same like relationship with UFOs. Okay. What I believe is that there are things that happen that I cannot explain. Okay. And I don't know if that means that it's necessarily, like, a person who died and is some of their, like, residual energy is just, for lack of a better word, haunting a place and they are a ghost. Like, fucking that could be the case. I don't know. But what if it's also just, like, some random other kind of transfer of energy that we don't understand yet? So I believe that some things happen and maybe people don't quite understand them. Okay. But I, I, I look on ghost stories with a lot of skepticism, except when play, times like right now when I just want to have fun and read right. ghost stories. Right. No, I'm, I'm, what do you think? Do you think I, I'm definitely a skeptic. I don't believe that there are, there's such a thing as ghosts. I think that most of these stories have an alternative explanation that better fits. Um, but 
I'm the same way. I think ghost stories are just fun. I, I, I treat them more of like folk tales. Yeah. And I, I'm certainly not going to be the resident skeptic because if I, I think that would just be really boring. And to be a little bit of the scully. No, no, I will. I just won't for every friggin' case. Yeah. Every one of these internet comments, that's just get exhausting. Yeah, that would get exhausting. Um, you're you're there, you're there to point out in the story. Yeah. So I'll get, I'll get into it. I just don't want, if anyone like listens to this and thinks that I'm that I'm buying into it. I'm not. I just like I like ghost stories. Listen, everyone. I just want to make sure you all know I'm s- smarter than this. <laughs> well, no. If if you listen to it and yeah. think that I am believing in it, believing it, and feel the need to type me up an email explaining how, how in fact there is an alternate yeah. explanation for it's it, fine. I won't read it because I don't care. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where I stand. This is another thing that I also believe about is it sometimes an explanation for, like, ghost UFOs, paranormal shit also. Sometimes, like, I, sometimes things happen that you, your brain or your body or whatever, maybe just can't process right. Yeah. And maybe you see something and it doesn't mean that your experience is any less real. No, no. But maybe you saw something and I don't know if it maybe was something that you just don't process correctly. I don't know, you know? No, no, that, that is um, a medical term for when uh, there's like an, I can't remember what it's called, but it, there's a hallucination and then there's something else. A hallucination is when your brain produces the, the imagery like out of nothing. So you might see floating lights, things like that. So there's no like actual lights that anyone else could see. You're just producing it. And then there's this other thing, which I want to say is either like an illusion, illusion or... Yeah. It is an illusion. Okay. A distortion of the senses revealing how the brain normally organizes and interprets sensory stimulation. Right. So like that would be um, a beam of light that's in a room and uh, my brain interprets it as something else as maybe, or like dust that's kicked up and my brain interprets that as an object moving. Mm -hmm. So that wouldn't be a hallucination. It would be an illusion. And obviously that requires a lot less. Like, okay. How many times have you woke up in the middle of the night? Cause this happens to me. I want to say about weekly, but where you wake up in the middle of the night and you see something like a shadow, a shadow or something and you go, what the fuck is that? And you just sit there for a while and you're just like, what is that? What is that? What is that? What is that? And then finally at some point you go, oh, it's it's a reflection of a light or it's like, oh, it's a shadow. I can see where it's coming from, but you spend a lot of time trying to figure out like you're doing math. Like what angle could this be (laughs) shining from? And or you're just thinking about where, like, where you can get a knife or something heavy to right. throw at. Yeah. But anyway, so that's and now we're like over-explaining this way too much. But it, but I, it comes down to I just enjoy the stories behind it. And if sure. if uh, if it feels like there's some like a con artist who's taking advantage of that situation, I might feel more energy or need to yeah, explain I don't like things. That. But if it's just some dude who was in a hotel and says that he heard some thumping, I. I yeah, there's probably an alternative explanation that better fits, but I don't really... It's going to get exhausting to explain for every single one of them. So, go. <laughs> Some of these stories were taken off of a blog from thisculturalchristian.blogspot.com. Dot angelfire.com? I think angelfire.com. No, I feel like it's still around. I feel like it's in the archives of the internet somewhere you can still we'll, find it. We'll Google it. We'll figure it out later. I'm going to read a ghost go story Go for it. Now. We're doing that thing that all the all the people hate in the podcast where you talk around the subject. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Do we want to discuss ghosts more and alternative explanations for ghosts? Or no, do we I'm going to tell like... the ghost story. Okay, good. I was sitting at my desk one day at, in my job at Federal Agency in Tucson in 1991. It was about midday, and I smelled smoke. The hairs on my neck were immediately raised. I felt a terrible panic and wanted to walk across the room to the fire alarm on the wall and pull it. Instead, instead I acted prudently and walked to the next desk over and told my co-worker, I smell smoke. I think there's a fire in the building. We have to assign an alarm and evacuate everyone in the office. <laughs> just calmly. Just calmly. Ca- I believe there is a fire. We will need to evacuate. We will need to evacuate. If you could pull the alarm, please and thank you. The lady looked up at me. She was seated at her desk. She seemed to take too long to process my information, then calmly spoke. There is no fire, Michael. You do not smell any smoke. I took a breath and gave her a puzzled look in return. Then she continued. That happens all the time here. It has to do with the Pioneer Hotel fire. This building was converted to office space after the fire. In fact, anyone around here has to come in on Saturday and will not come in alone because of ghosts. And then she said, no, wait, I smell that smoke too. We should definitely evacuate the building. Um, so let's see what else we got here. There was also, uh, some stories about how there was a a lot of, um, miscommunication between the guests of the Pioneer Hotel and the Tucson police because the guests spoke Spanish. Mm -hmm. They were from Mexico. Mm -hmm. They spoke Spanish and the police did not have any Spanish speaking people at the time. So they couldn't communicate like go down. We're coming for you. Um, So one story this person retells was about Mexicans screaming from the windows and the crews on the ground, not understanding them, not knowing what to shout or how to use a bullhorn to to save life saving information to them up in this burning tower. Um, There was also the story of how an important Mexican official was booked into the hotel and missed the fire because he was out having dinner with the mayor, which was was, uh, confirmed by the mayor. Uh, Truth was, or or rumor, that this uh, Mexican official was actually just sort of banging chicks on the side of the barrio (laughs) at the time. Um, Like the the lost barrio? Probably probably the actual barrio. Okay. Because we have the lost barrio now because... Oh, was a barrio oh okay, gotcha. so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was this. There's another story uh, that the the actual space of the ballroom that the so the Christmas party mm-hmm. that was being held had been had been booked for a shoe store, but okay. then the Hughes Missile Company came in at the last minute and was like, "We want to have our Christmas party here instead." So they like booted out the the little shoe wow. store. So it's just like like little. I've collected a bunch of like little Tucson. Tucson gossip and stuff. Um, there's one about how the basement was really haunted, but this person from that that this cultural Christian at Blogspot says that they went down into the basement and there were just like chicken wire cages and like <laughs> whatever. It says the boxes, uh, the records boxes were st- stored in makeshift chicken wire cages that were <laughs> scattered about this room in the basement of what had once been the hotel's main lobby, uh, or and or the men's ballroom with its many urinals and <laughs> stalls and toilets collecting dust. Oh, my God. Um, one person said, I worked on the 11th floor for several years when it was a law office. A lot of things happened. My pens and pencils would disappear, and then the next day they were all over. My flower pot would be on top of the typewriter. The copier would go off spitting paper when no one was attending it. This sounds like 
this sounds like standard office stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say your your pens went missing. Yeah. Like that never happens. Not even just in offices in anywhere ever. Like there is one lady who who lived there, who was in the area or lived there, mm-hmm. been there for a really long time, had an office there. <clears throat> they said that that she had grandchildren, mm-hmm. uh, and they they she sometimes took them to work with her. Um, they'd play their toys and with their toys and whatever, and ride around until it was time to go home. Um, and she put these children's toys in this specific box mm-hmm. in, in her room for, for grandkids. Um, but she would find stuff, uh, the next day she found like these toys everywhere and all over the place. And she decided that her ghosts were some kids. Mm-hmm. And so she said, she talked to them. She said, you can play with the toys, but just like my grandchildren, you have to put them back. Um, and that was five years ago. That's really cute. Yeah. But that's kind of an, an endearing story. That was five years ago. The toys have not been left out in, uh, again. And, and she says, they are nice ghosts. They don't show themselves to everyone. They have to kind of like you. Um, she, so her grandchildren have grown up, but she still keeps the box <laughs> in the yellow box in the back office for the, the ghost to play with the toys. And she thinks that they're the spirits of children who perished in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any children who perished, do we know? I'm sure there were. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly. One person who has asked for anonymity in fear of ridicule <laughs> said he has seen women on the second floor wearing ball gowns and dancing around in the air hmm. uh, over his head. Kind of like when you ride the haunted, the haunted house, <laughs> the haunted mansion ride. Uh, he says he's heard them whispering and talking and he's heard their wine glasses clinking. One of the, the big things of the area that's haunted were the, the basement and or that um, main lobby because that's where they stacked the bodies mm-hmm. that they found, like oh, right yeah. in the center. Yeah. Pioneer Hotel does still exist. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the building still exists, yeah. per se. It was rebuilt into that office building we were talking about. And if you drive by, you can see a giant sign. This is the Pioneer outside of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's the original sign. I doubt it, but it's there's definitely a sign there that they've kept. Uh, it says several years ago, a local reporter participated in a ghost investigation of the Pioneer Hotel with a local paranormal expert. <laughs> <laughs> and and at one point in the middle of the night, the sound of running was reported from the floor directly above them. Hmm. So, but yeah, um, they say that the, the elevator there always stops on the fourth floor. It's always stopped on the wrong floor. And that's why it's haunted. But I mean, the library's elevator is always stopped on the wrong floor, so. Yeah. I've also, I've been there, I've taken the elevator up, and, well, granted, I don't know which elevator we're talking about, but I did not have a problem with the elevator opening on the wrong floor. Yeah. Perhaps the, the ghost knew that I was in a bit of a rush and decided not to screw around with me that day. But not today, ghosts. Yeah, not today. All right, well, I, I think that's about wraps it up. The Pioneer Hotel did not burn completely to the ground. Mm-hmm. It's still around. To be enjoyed, go take a look at it. Do we um, ever know what happened to Louis? Like, does he still live in Arizona, or did he move? I do not know. Oh, okay. I, I hope that he is living far away from yeah. here in anonymity, yeah. just enjoying his life. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day, and uh, keep it spooky, dudes.